0: We return to the book of James today, and our passage is going to be James 1 16 through 18. James 1 16 through 18. And as you turn there, uh, think back through all of the holidays and special occasions. And as you think through those things, what makes a good gift? What do you think makes a good gift? What what is the quality of that gift that you receive that makes it stand out as something that you like and enjoy? Or on the contrary, right? Well, what, what about that gift that don't you like? like what, what are the qualities or the, the efforts of it or the things of it that, uh, that you dislike about gift-giving? Uh, for some of you, uh, it might be the utility of a gift that makes it a good one, right? That, that it's something useful that you can use it. Right? If you got a, a painting to hang on the wall, you'd be kind of disappointed because you can't really use a painting. right? But if you got a new hammer that you've been looking at eyeing and needing, right, then you might say, yeah, that, that's, that's a good gift. Uh, for some of you, it's the sentiment. It's that somebody took the time to think about what it is you like and want. Um, we've probably all been recipients of gifts where you kind of ask yourself the question, what in the world made them give me this (laughs) um i've i've received some some gifts like that before uh like like a movie or a book or something like that where like what, what i have never once in my life expressed desire or like for this this genre or this actor why this gift it's strange right uh, but so, so sometimes we like the, the sentiment of the gift. So it could be a, a small thing, but it, it shows that the person knows us and thinks about us. And so that's what makes it a good gift. For some of you, it might just be the giver, right? It doesn't matter what the gift is. It doesn't matter the utility of it. It doesn't matter of any of the quality of it. Uh, it's just that the person that you love gave it to you. And so you love the gift and it's a good gift. Uh, And that's it doesn't really matter what it is. As we consider our father in heaven, what kind of gifts does he give? What kind of gifts does God give? And what do we make of the gifts that he does give? And these are significant questions because they strike at the character of God, the, the very character of God, the nature of God. If God is perfectly good, then he must give good gifts. But if we could attribute some shadow of evil, if we could for even a moment doubt the goodness of God, then when we ask for something good, he might give us a serpent instead. And as we come to our passage today, we find James instructing believers that God undeniably gives good gifts to his people. God undeniably gives good gifts to his people. So let's read our passage today, James 1, 16 through 18. And this is the word of the Lord. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And this is the word of the Lord. So remember, James is writing to instruct the churches in and around Palestine and Syria. He's writing because there are various trials that they are facing And James wants them to stand steadfast, right? He wants them to endure. He wants them to be wise. He wants them to receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And in the prior passage, James had in view the issue of sinful desires. Where exactly does temptation arise from? And the conclusion he makes there is that temptation in no way comes from God, but rather it arises, arises within the individual. All right, James 113 tells us, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And again, the discussion there is that this is a fundamental uh, aspect of the nature of God. This is a fundamental aspect To God's character, God's name is good. His way is good. He is good and does good. All that he says is good. And so if that is true, if God cannot even be tempted to a whisper of evil, then we have the conclusion that James draws for us in our passage today, that God gives Good gifts and perfect gifts. So let's turn to our passage and see first the truth of God's name. So firstly, the truth of God's name in verses 16 and 17. And when we looked at 16 uh, in the last time, we, we joined it to that passage as well. And that's because verse 16 acts as kind of a hinge verse, if we will, in, in, this, um, in this section. Connecting what came before and what follows what we're looking at today. Uh, And and he says simply, right? Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived about God's goodness. Don't believe lies from Satan or from sin. God is not tempted by evil to do evil. And if that is true, then what follows is true. Don't be deceived. The truth of God's name is that he is good. And so, beloved brothers, church, let's consider the truth. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift. Commentators think that this is likely a Greek poetic style, a hexameter. If you're into that kind of thing, you want to go look that up and uh, understand it's it's Greek poetic style is probably not quite the same as our own style in in that how we measure those things out. Uh, But I'm not a Greek poet. Maybe you are. Uh, You could go read the Iliad um, later, if you know, you want into that kind of thing. Uh, If this is so, right, so if this is so, if this is a poetic style, then what we mean by every good gift and every perfect gift is probably the same thing. In other words, that James is not here saying that there are two different kinds of qualities to this gift, but rather both qualities describe the, the same thing. So, right, we're, we're saying that this is in parallel. Good and perfect are the same meaning. So we're not trying to, um, trying to differentiate between, well, what's a good gift and what's a perfect gift, but rather they're the same meaning. Uh, again, if that's the poetic style and commentators think that. The idea here then is that every gift, every grace, every blessing, uh, all is good and it comes from above, right? So where, does, where do every good gift and every perfect gift comes from? Does it come from Aunt Sally or Uncle Tommy, Grammy and Grandpa, Me, Mom, Poopaw, I don't, you know, whatever whatever you want to do there, uh, right? Is that where they comes from? No, no, right? James tells us Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's from above. These come from the Father of Lights, coming down from the Father of Lights. And this term, Father of Lights, uh, is, is kind of reminiscent of the created order, right? So think of the, the lights. Who made the lights? If we go back to the book of Genesis, right? And God said, let there be light. So fundamentally, we're talking here about the created order. James is pointing us to the heavens to look upon the work of God the Father. And as we look upon the work of creation, we find good and perfect gifts. Though the world is corrupted by sin, we still find the gifts of God's grace. We have the gift of food. Like cheesecake. I always go back to that one. Or cookies, maybe. If you're into uh, more meaty things and less sugary things, maybe steak, right? We have the gift of food, bacon. We have the gift of beautiful days. Today's not particularly one at the outset, right? But but a gift of, of beautiful days, of spring weather, of fall weather. If you live in such a clime that has one uh, coming from Florida, uh, spring was a lot like summer. So I wouldn't call it beautiful. It was beautiful to look at inside with the AC blasting. Right. so that's that's beautiful. Right. We have the gift of fellowship with friends. Right? God gives us this. Right. He's he looked at. Remember, if you go back to the book of Genesis, there's one thing in the creation story that God says is not good. Everything is good. The creation he makes is very good, except that man is alone. He said that's not good. And so he creates for him a helper. We have the gift of fellowship with friends. We have the gift of marriage. We have the gift of relationship with one another. We have so many good and perfect gifts, right? And those are general things. I'm not even talking about the specifics to your life. And as you look through the specifics of your life, you'll see different good and perfect gifts. And where do those gifts come from? God the Father, our God in heaven. David himself says in Psalm 16, verse 2, Psalm 16, verse 2, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David says I have no good apart from you. Every good that we have is a gift from the Lord. If there is some good in your life, even if you consider the whole of it as generally bad, right? If you look upon your life and you say there's so much evil in my life. There's so much pain and suffering and problem and and, and error even if you might think there's much bad, the good that you do have comes from God. The Lord is good, and no good is found apart from him. Right so so we really have to understand this because if we believe that good arrives from somewhere else, the good that we have, we will fail to give thanksgiving to God. All right, so if we think that the good gifts that we have are ours by right, we'll get angry when they're taken away. If we think that the good that we have are those things that we have earned, well, we'll feel pride in ourself. We'll say, look at the work that I have done. Think of the old uh, poem. Uh, my name is Ozymandias. Look on my work, she mighty in despair. And before the... the uh, uh, I guess you would say the, the subject of the poem is nothing but dust and sand. Right? There are no many mighty works. Right? So if we think it's ours by right, we'll be proud in ourselves and pride goes before the fall. So we need to understand that the good that we have in our life comes from God and so we give our thanksgiving to God. We give worship to God. We give praise to God. God, thank you for your good gifts that you have given me this day and whether it is the general good of his created order or if it is the specific good of his grace towards his elect god is good and gives good gifts jesus speaking in the sermon on on the mount in matthew 7 verses 9 through 11 says matthew 7 9 through 11 or which one of you if his son asks for him for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What's the point there? Right. If we who are evil know how to give good things, how much more the good God will give good things. Right. And so it's one of comparison. Jesus is making comparison there for us. The truth of God's name is that it is good. Right? And when I talk about the name of God, what well, we're talking about His character. Right? So we see that in the scripture, talked about that. Right? The, we, we call upon the name of the Lord. We call upon God's name. We believe in the name of Jesus. What are we, ta- we pray in the name of Jesus. What are we talking about there? We're talking about character. We're talking about nature, who they are. Not just merely the, the epithet we call them, right? Not not just merely the identifier, the tag by which we call upon them, right? So, we're talking about character. And it, what is the character of God? That he's good. God is good all the time. And though we may have heard that before, and we may think it's a very simple thing, We really need to bear it in mind all the more. We need to remind ourselves of this fundamental truth. Why? Because there are seasons when we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because we may encounter circumstances in life which make us question the goodness of God. Because sin and Satan seek to deceive us and persuade us that God is not good. I go back to the first sin in the Garden of Eden so often because it is key to us understanding who we are. Listen closely to what Satan implies about God's character in Genesis 3, 4 through 5. Genesis 3, 4 through 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So, right there, Satan's calling God what? A liar. God, you're a liar. He says you're going to die, you're not going to die. And then listen to what he suggests about God's character. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's the implication here? Satan is implying to Eve that God is trying to keep good back from you. God is trying to keep good from you. You could be like God, but he's withholding that from you. So take it. Take it yourself. The suggestion that we hear in the Garden of the Eden is the same suggestion that we hear from Satan today. God is trying to keep something good from You take it. Don't we hear that in our culture? Take, for instance, this ongoing discussion we see in our culture about the issue of transgenderism. And the language often used when someone transitions is something like this. Now I finally feel like my authentic self. Now I can be my authentic self. Now I'm I'm living my truth. And what is implied there what is implied in this issue is that what god has created them how god has created them he has failed them and god has kept something good from them by giving them the opposite sexual organs that they desire that god is withholding good from them god has kept back good from them and so it behooves them to take it for themselves to mutilate themselves and to go against the created order and their creator the father of lights satan whispers god doesn't want you to have this take it And we have to ask the question for the person who struggles with gender dysphoria, which is the kind of technical term for it. Has God kept something good from them? Has God held back something good from them? No, by no means, because God is good. And every gift he gives is good and perfect. Why then do they feel that way? Well, we could say, generally speaking, right, they live in a sinful body in a fallen world. We all don't feel as we should. right? We We all have desires that are contrary to what God has created us for. And they need compassion. They need our compassion. They need the grace of God. They need someone to come alongside them and speak to them the truth of God to encourage and uplift them. They need to hear the truth of God's name, that God is good. And what he created, he did so, and it was good. So much of sin in our culture is rooted in this failure to recognize the goodness, in God's goodness and what he has created. So much of sin is striving for God's good outside of his timing and his will. Right Again, we could talk about many of the issues of sexual immorality. We could talk about the issues of even uh, uh, sins we don't like to talk about, gluttony or pride, covetousness, jealousy. What do we see in those things? We see an understanding that there is some good that I think I deserve, so let me take it. And we don't rest content. And the good gift that God has given us. What has happened in this world is that sin and Satan whisper, God is making you miss out on something. There's a reason you feel incomplete. And it's all God's fault. Don't be deceived. Don't fall for the lie. Seek the truth. God is good. And so every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And this last phrase here in verse 17, the variation or shadow due to change, uh, it has in it, the, it seems in the Greek to be, to be describing the change that we witness in the heavenly order. right? So, so the moon goes through phases, the planets move, the stars move, we move. Right? So it links this idea uh, by God being the father of lights. Right? So that's what he just said. He's linking this idea with this idea of planetary change. Right? The heavens change. The implication is that God does not change. The heavens change. God does not. We mark the months by the moon. Uh, right, That's why we call it a moonth. We mark the year by the movement of the earth around the sun. We mark the various seasons by the stars. The heavens are constantly changing and moving. The earth moves through the solar system. All right. so here's, here's a head, head ringer for you, right? The earth moves through the solar system. The solar system is, in a, is moving through a galaxy, and the galaxy is also moving through the universe. So there's lots of movement going on. And it all changes, right? The heavens change, but with God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. God never changes. The heavens may change and the earth may pass away, but God remains forever. Uh, One of Jack's and my favorite verses from the book of Malachi is Malachi 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Malachi tells the people of God, though that they have failed God time and again, and though what should happen is their utter destruction, they're being blotted out from under heaven, blotted out from the earth, because God has made promise to the forefathers of their people, they are not destroyed. Because God has made a covenant with his servant David that he would have forever someone to, uh, to reign upon his throne. They are not destroyed. They are not removed. Because of his promise, because he does not change, the people of Israel remain. Isn't that interesting that they still remain today? Is God faithful to his promise? It's a chilling word to the people of Israel that the only thing holding back the destroying hand of God is the fact that he does not change it's because of his character, his name. But upon this truth of God's name is our hope. God was good in the days of Moses when he's called his people out of slavery in Egypt. God will be good in the coming day of the Lord when he carries out his vengeance upon his enemies and rescues his people from every corner of the earth. And God is good today. God is good to you and to me. He gives every good and every perfect gift. The truth of God's name is, he is good. And in the case that we need proof of that goodness or of the magnitude of his good gifts, We have our next verse, which is the proof of God's name in verse 18. The proof of God's name of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The proof that God is good and gives every good and perfect gift is here adduced. James tells us that it was out of his the unchanging goodness of God that he elected his people by the gospel to save them, that they would be the first out of all his creation. And so let's break this down. First, we see it is of his own will. It's of his own will. Why does God save anybody? Because he so pleases. This truth upsets people. Uh, They want to hear that God saves people. Because they're good enough, smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like him. That's an old SNL reference for you. Uh, don't worry about looking it up. All right. They, they want to hear that God saves people because he needs them. I need you. Like good old Uncle Sam, right? They, wanna, they want to hear that God saves them because he cannot live without them. They want to be the center of God's world. When God is the center of the universe, not us. God saves people because it is his desire to do so. It arises entirely within himself and from nothing else of his own will. He chooses creatures to be the object of his mercy by his own free choice. We want to talk about free will and salvation. It's God's free will not our own. Romans 9, 14 through 18 tells us as much. Romans 9, 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So so then, it depends on, not on, Paul's argument in the book of Romans is just this point. It is God's choice to have compassion on whom he will. It depends not on human will or exertion. In other words, it's not about our ability to want it or our ability to earn it. God does it. Or we could go back in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 3-6. Ephesians 1, 3-6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen to this, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of our earning it, our right to it. No, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved before the foundation of the world. God had chosen his people before you were born, before your parents were born, before your parent parents were born, going all the way back to the to Adam and Eve before they were created, before God breathed life into that dust. He chose all who would be saved. The cross is not the backup plan of God. It was his sovereign plan from the very beginning. Or we could consider John's take on it. John 1, 12 through 13. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born. Listen to this. How were they born? How were the children of God born? Who were born? Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord becomes children of God. But how is that? It's not by blood right. We're not born into the family that way right it's not a genealogical descent it's not by the will of the flesh nor the will of man right it's not something you produce in you and also understand too that that applies it's not something that we produce in other people it is not our by our will that other people are saved how is it but of god it's god's will how do we become children of God? By God's work. How are we born again? Jesus tells us in John 3, 5-8. John 3, 5-8. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Listen to this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What's the point? James 1.18 Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. If you are in Christ Jesus, God has saved you out of his own goodness. He has given you the gift of faith that you may believe. And what of those who do not believe? Pray. Pray. Ask God. If you don't believe, pray and ask God and plead with him. God, save me. And God is faithful. As many as call upon his name will be saved. There is no such person as the one who wants to be saved but cannot. Sometimes that's the argument. Well, little Johnny, he wants to be saved, but God won't save him. There's no such person. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it take to call upon the name of the Lord? Call upon the name of the Lord. It takes faith. It takes trust. It says, God, I believe that you are good and can save me. Please save me. All who desire salvation and call upon Christ Jesus will be saved. And we know that it is of his own will. The desire is there by his will, by his grace. Now, as James here talks about right, bringing us forth this birth, are we right to talk about this in the context of salvation? are we talking about creation, right? We were just talking about he's the father of lights. There's no planetary change with him as there is the others. So we we're talking about the created order. Are we to infer this brought us forth as this birth as creation? And I would say, no, we, we shouldn't think of it that way. We should be talking about the, the context of salvation because we are birthed by what? The word of truth. What is the word of truth? Uh, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right? Paul describes the word of truth as the gospel of your salvation. So it is by hearing and believing in this word of truth that the Holy Spirit seals you. And in that sealing work proves to be your down payment of the eternal glory to come. To go back to James, he says that we who believe, who have been brought forth by the word of truth, should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The first fruits of his creation. The elect of God are the first fruits of God's creation. The part of his creation that is first and best. The part of his creation that is dedicated to him. You can go back to the book of Leviticus and see what are you to do with the first fruits of the harvest? Give them to God. They are his portion. Romans 8, 19 through 23. Romans 8, 19 through 23. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons the redemption of our bodies right paul says of this created order that it's groaning it's groaning because it's been subjected to futility it's been corrupted by sin in the creation of Knows that there is a coming day of redemption when God's people are revealed for who they are, when they are called into glory, and then the created order will be renewed, remade. There'll be new heavens and new earth. It longs for it, it waits for it. It's as in childbirth, it's laboring. It wants to be set free from its bondage to corruption. And that happens when the children of God are revealed. The first fruits are made clear. Currently, the creation is subject to the corruption of sin. But there is coming a day when creation will be restored. And upon this new earth shall God's people dwell for all eternity. And we who have the first fruits of the spirit, we wait eagerly for this day or if you don't I certainly do I have far too many pains and I know there's more coming as I grow older right we who have the first fruits of the spirit of God wait to be the first fruits of his creation to be prepared and restored redeemed there's a redeemed creation to come and we God's people are part of that so is God good Does God save his people? Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, listen to this, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If you want the proof of God's name, it's in his saving work. The truth of God's name is that he is good. And the proof of that is if You have believed in Christ Jesus. You know that he is good. Because you have the best gift that he could ever give unto you. James tells us the truth of God's name. His nature is that he is good. God is good always. And consequently, every gift that God gives is good. It's perfect. It's exactly what it should be. If you are in Christ, the reality is this. God has already given you everything good. He has given you everything necessary for life and godliness. Peter says that in his second letter. He has given you his son. What more can he give? He has given you the good gift of his Holy Spirit. The proof of the inheritance that is yours to come. And if you believe in Christ... He has regenerated and renewed you by and through his Holy Spirit, giving you new life. He has forgiven your sins through the shed blood of Christ. And so consider this today, beloved of God, what good gifts God has given you. Or as David says in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Have you found that to be true? And whatever you may feel you, lack, go to the Father of lights and ask. Ask him to give you the good and perfect gift you need to serve him better. And I'll just say a brief caution here. Go read James chapter 4. We know that uh, there James deals with asking God for gifts that aren't good. We must not take our passage today as an encouragement to treat God as some magic genie who will give us whatever it is we pull on the, the lever and ask for whatever trifle passes through our mind. But we also need to understand that we can go to God boldly and seek from his hand good gifts. We need to know it, who it is that we serve, a God who is never evil and from whom springs all our blessings. Beloved, bring thanksgiving to our great God. Bring to him a sacrifice of praise. If there is any drop of good in your life, If there is any blessing, if there is any grace or any mercy, then go to God and worship Him as the Father who gives good gifts. And again, if you doubt the goodness in your life, if you doubt the blessing in your life, remember Christ Jesus. Look to the cross. God is good. But what about you who don't trust in Christ? What about you who don't believe? If you have any good in your life, that is a mercy of God. He has given you a good gift, and in his goodness, he wants you to come to him. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, in the last part of verse 45, fa- 5, last part of verse 45, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just. And on the unjust and you may think God mean and miserly but the fact that you draw breath right now says otherwise the fact that you have any good thing in your life any pleasure any food any drink any clothing any shelter is because the only true and living God has had mercy on you and you may think you have earned those things you may think that you are there you're right you may think that God has given you nothing, but you are dead wrong. And if you, if you fail to yield to the mercy of God, if you fail to recognize Him as God, He will remove His mercies, and you will suffer the just punishment of your sins for all eternity. You may never acknowledge it in this life that, that God is the giver of good gifts, but you will certainly acknowledge it in the next When you are under his divine displeasure, when you are suffering forever for spurning the good gift of his son, Jesus, you will at last understand that God has given you way more good than you ever deserve. And yet, as you draw breath, there is still time to turn to him. There is still time to acknowledge Christ Jesus as God and Savior. There is yet time to seek God for the forgiveness of your sins and to enjoy His divine presence for all eternity. God has given you good gifts that you might recognize Him, that you might see Him and understand. It is from His hand that you have those things. Turn from your sin. Repent. Turn from it and turn to Him in faith, trusting that He is indeed the only good God. Believe in Christ Jesus. Trust in the word of truth. Trust the good news, the gospel. Believe in Christ and be saved. Don't wait any longer. Don't turn from God's good and perfect gifts, but acknowledge Him. Praise Him. Thank him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, indeed, we we come before you this morning thanking you for your good gifts. Uh, Father, that we draw breath this morning is a mercy and a grace from you. And so we thank you for that. God, we thank you for allowing us to gather here today. God, we thank you for for the food that we've had. And uh, God, for all of the many blessings that you have granted unto us. God, we thank you if we are in Christ. We thank you, Father, for Christ Jesus, for his broken body and his shed blood. God, we thank you and thank you and thank you for all of the promises that are yes in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, we thank you that there is a coming day when we will be in your presence forever, seeing the light of your face under your eternal joy, when we will with unveiled face see the beauty of our Savior, the Lamb who was slain and yet lives, when we stand with those innumerable others singing praise unto you, worshiping you in the splendor of holiness. Father, we thank you And God, we pray, Father, we pray for all those who don't recognize your goodness. God, we pray for all those who spurn your good gift of Christ Jesus. We pray you would have compassion upon them, that you would have mercy upon them. Father, that you would open their their eyes to see and understand. Father, that you would do that work in them which only you can do. And, Father, that we would be faithful to do that work you have called us to do, to call sinners into repentance. O oh, Father. O oh, Father, be glorified in us, your people. Be praised. Be exalted. Be magnified. Be honored. Be worshipped. For you alone are worthy of such. You alone are God. And you are good. And so, Father, we recognize that this morning. You are good. We confess that this morning. You are good. And so we thank you. Good God. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.